when we're going through this SEO exercise, we peaked at 2019, getting 400K visits to the website. We had, a, as a company, we had a huge churn problem where our focus for growth was, you know, getting more customers top of the line, not necessarily fixing our churn issues. But in that thinking, mm -hmm. it's like, hey, how do we get more customers through? We're like, well, we already rank really well for all the keywords we wanted to rank for pitch deck. I don't think we can rank better. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? And we're like, well, okay, what's the second largest search engine? YouTube. Yeah. So we're like, okay, how do we rank on YouTube? And our first thinking was, well, let's start making videos about these topics that also rank on YouTube. Now, video is such an expensive kind of video as a channel for B2B SaaS marketing. So we had this genuine coincidence in our team that two members of our support team had studied film. So we're like, hey, like these guys, when they heard the idea, like, hey, like, yeah, we're down for this. Like, we'll just carve out some time and and start producing videos in a very experimental manner. And we, man, we did this for like 18 months, a very much trial and error sort of game of, hey, like, what if we make a video like this? We did not understand YouTube at all, did not understand YouTube SEO, nothing until I think it was uh, end of 2018 when we finally sort of found a little formula match, right, which was somewhat search optimized for search, like this green screen format with some animation and a script and a teleprompter, like that That format worked. We're thinking of YouTube as a as a direct response campaign. So we, we needed to make sure that the ROI was there. So whatever we paid to produce the video, even, even though it was cheap and in-house, we had to recover it. And for that first video on pitch decks, which still ranks really well, it, it's the only video about pitch decks that we've made that has crossed a million views because it's been around for so long and it ranks so well. And once that clicked, you know, we, we continued to iterate on, on solving it. You know, fast forward to today, now understand the YouTube formula much better. And we operate that branch of the business a little bit like a media company. Every SaaS company plays for high stakes. But what does it take to dominate the market right now? Welcome to Paris Talks Marketing, the podcast where we dive deep into the latest trends and strategies in SaaS marketing that are really working today. I'm your host, Paris, and our guests are SaaS CMOs, founders, and specialists. And we discuss one trendy topic in the industry per episode. Ready to unlock the true power of marketing strategy? In this theme, we'll explore the world of cutting-edge marketing strategies and tactics that are shaking up the SaaS industry. We'll share insights on testing new tactics and uncover the latest developments from digital landscape giants like Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We'll also explore how AI is revolutionizing the digital landscape and transforming marketing tactics. So grab your headphones and get ready for a marketing strategy masterclass at Paris Talks Marketing. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm with Kaya. Kaya is a seasoned entrepreneur with a flair for storytelling. He currently spearheads Slidebean, which is a venture-backed startup established in 2014. He's their CEO. Nestled in the heart of New York City, Slidebean assists founders in pitching to investors through its innovative SaaS product and specialized consulting agency. Since stepping into the role of the host for the company's YouTube channel in 2018, Kaya has navigated the brand to become one of the platform's most watched startup-centric channels, fast approaching the 500,000 subscriber milestone. That's amazing. Kaya, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks a lot for having me, Paris. Uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. So I'm going to start with something that I've been testing lately, which is I'd like you to bust a myth for our listeners. So tell us something that you think is a generally accepted or widely held belief in marketing, hopefully something relevant for SaaS marketers, that you think is really pure BS or it's just a myth, and please help us to bust that wide open. Hmm. Well, I think it is a bit of a myth how much, or the fact that Google, or whether Google penalizes you for publishing AI-generated chatbot content on your website, i.e. chatbot blog articles. Most people think 
Google does, but Google's official position is that they don't, at least today, November 2023. So you think it's okay to publish ChatGPT produced content on a blog oh, or on a website? That's Pandora's box. Like, no, I don't think it's okay. I just think that it can aid with the current rules of SEO. Yeah, it can definitely aid the writers and the and the content team on a blog, you know, speed things up, rank for more keywords. As long as the you know, source content of that, or the, the source, so the, the main information is something that a human generated, you know, something that's more useful than what, a JI, yeah. what an AI is just repeating. I get one. And two, yeah, some editing, right? Making sure that it doesn't sound too body. Uh, yeah, so it can help. It's legal to allow it to help according to Google standards today. Mm. There's a question mark on whether that, that'll still be a fact a few months or years from now. Yeah. To me, this is, this is a fascinating topic to debate because when I think about if Google will rank this content, and presumably it's useful content, so Google's mission is to rank content that's useful for the user. So if Google ranks this kind of content, then how does Google even differentiate its SERPs from the content that you're going to get directly from ChatGPT? And isn't that putting Google at risk that if I can get the same answer with, with less ads, less clutter, less scrolling and digging, I'll just go over to ChatGPT and, and get the same answer in a cleaner format. Isn't that yeah. a threat for Google that there's no yeah. differentiation? Yep. I think that was concern one for Google. I, I read a couple of articles that when ChatGPT released, some red flags and some alerts got turned on at Google because, I mean, Google's a great company, does a lot of things, but you know, their core business is the search and, and ad business. I think that a lot of searches, even today, a lot of searches uh, where you want a simple explainer for something, I I I go to GPT, right? I bought a new iPhone a couple of weeks back. So uh, my like shortcut button, like the little button that you program, like the action button, I program yep. that to chat GPT audio, chat GPT voice. Yeah, I a little bit force myself to use it, but also it's actually quite useful. Uh, you can have a conversation with an AI that's much smarter than the Alexas and the series and all the alternatives. It searches the web. It gives you answers based on web searches. So mm -hmm. I think that that inevitably, at least at some percent, at some degree, replaces a Google search for me. Uh, if I want a summary of a really complicated, I don't know, when, when we're doing research for videos, I want a summary of a really complicated historical event, I'll get the summary from GPT. I'll, I'll double check, fact check it with Google. But you know, that's a search that didn't happen in Google anymore. Would that have been a search that you would do in Google previously? Yeah, yeah, yeah it would have. You know, I guess before GPT, all my research started at Google. Now it doesn't. Yeah, gotcha. Let's pivot over to SEO now, because there still is a vibrant SEO profession, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a lot of people mm -hmm. are still doing it. It's debatable whether or not as certain types of queries are going to move from Google over to ChatGPT or otherwise AI. SEO is still a thing, and you all have had a lot of success in growing your organic traffic over the last years. And I will pull up a slide graph once I find my screen sharing button. Here it is. And this is this is your organic traffic trend. It's slide bean for the last five years. And there's been some ups and downs, but there was there's this period in around twenty twenty where there's a big run up. There's another big run up in twenty twenty two. Let me pull back to to all because this is actually the, the chart I wanted to show. Yeah. And this is something I checked in real time while I was watching you speak at SASDOC a few <laughs> weeks back in Dublin. This run up from virtually zero in about a two-year period to, uh, to close to 150 or so thousand monthly organic visits. And I think this is probably understating it because HREFs, it doesn't really know. Um, it's, it's sampled data. So I'd love to know, and our audience would love to know, 
How did you achieve that? And, and is that strategy still something that could work today? Yeah, that's a good question with some um, charts. Yeah, I think that we peaked around 2019. We probably peaked around 400,000 maybe uh, mm -hmm. organic hits a month. Uh, so maybe a third of traffic. After seeing this comparison with, with Ahrefs, like our own data against Ahrefs, we just assume that it's about 3x for everyone because that's what that's what it is for us and that's the only other reference I have. But yeah, so this is a, I, I love this story. It, I think it's one of our most successful stories as a, as a company. So you know, some background, you know, we, we discovered our core keyword, our most important, highest converting keyword, a little bit before that that bump. Uh, and that keyword was pitch deck. So we were, mm -hmm. uh, slide being, we built it as a presentation platform. So at, at some point we we're like, well, we want to rank for presentation software or for PowerPoint alternatives and for all these keywords that for people who want to get rid of PowerPoint and replace it. But those people, we, we try to target them via ads, via search. They didn't convert very well. And we discovered again through search that pitch deck was a fantastic keyword. People would come, they convert, they'd accept our pricing. Uh, they would use the tool. These are startup founders, mostly if you're Googling pitch deck. You know, so they're savvy enough. They understood our, our UI. So not a lot of questions related to how the product worked. Someone would call that product market fit. I wouldn't yet, but I'd say that that was an audience. So we're like, okay, like mm -hmm. let's just bid as much as we can uh, until the economics of paid marketing break. And once they did, which peaked in maybe a spend of around 20K a month, we're like, okay, well, what do we do now? We've maxed out our ads for pitch tech. We're like, well, I guess we should rank organically. So, you know, I, I convinced the team and the investors that, and we, we didn't have a whole, we hadn't raised a whole lot of money yet. I convinced them on this, by my estimation, one year bet on SEO, which meant recruiting a team, building a team and starting to produce, starting to produce a lot of content around this keyword that we already knew was valuable for us. I think that that's very important. And that's, I, I think my first takeaway, like I would never do this for a keyword that might be useful because it's just, it's just too much work, right? I would only do it once I know that that keyword will drive me good quality customers. So, you know, this, uh, in a nutshell, this nine month process was a cycle of not, yeah, nine to a year, nine months to a year when we, our website started ranking was a cycle of me writing one or two, I would say high quality content pieces every week, which were sort of like the baseline article extending and then replicating that article, you know, four or five more times with ghostwriters. So the ghostwriters would take this article, this good piece of content, this good piece of knowledge and you know, rewrite it, optimize for a different keyword and rewrite it, optimize for, mm -hmm. for, for another keyword. And they would do kind of like five iterations of that. So our SEO became this, hey, like one hit piece, five satellite pieces that were targeting kind of like long, longer form versions of that keyword. And so one, two, and then step three, we figured, and I don't know if this holds up today. That's probably the biggest, I don't know if it, it, it helped at all back then, but we had this thesis, which was, well, we have this good quality content, but our website doesn't have any domain ranking. Therefore, it doesn't rank. Therefore, nobody's reading it. So Google Analytics doesn't really know, or Google doesn't really know if this is a good quality piece of content. So how do we get data? How do we get traffic into this so that Google knows that we've written a pretty good piece of content? So we made this bet of running Facebook ads at the time. Facebook was cool back then. We, we made this bet of running Facebook ads. I think the chart says 20, yeah, 2016, 17 is when we're doing this. It's, it's right around, yeah, 2016 is when it started to ramp up, early 2017. Yep, yep. yep. Um, again, I don't know if this holds up, but what we figure is, well, what if, if we push traffic to this long articles and people read them and we push good traffic, people who would read an article and then read the next one. So low bounce rates and high, high average time on site, right? If we put quality visits on readers there, Google search will know, like Google will know. I, again, I don't know if this holds up, 
but we spent probably $100,000, I'd say, pushing traffic from Facebook as a, you know, to these articles. I think we optimized so you spent it. On, face, on Facebook ads, about 100K during that period? Yeah, I would say something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what would you estimate roughly the ROI on that is, on that 100,000 investment for that uh, traffic? The, I think I wrote an article about this at some point. The ROI is uh, probably 20X by now. We've made millions of dollars mm -hmm. from the search traffic we get from, from the pitch to keyword. I mean, it, it is the backbone of our business in, in mm -hmm. many ways. We didn't understand how important it was going to be. You know, this, I think, yeah, the investment that year was, you know, in the round of 150, including the team who was, marketing team was solely dedicated to this. But, you know, I, I think by the time I wrote the article, we could safely attribute about half a million dollars of revenue to search. And I, I wrote that piece maybe, I don't know, 2018, 2019. So yeah, it, mm -hmm. it's been the backbone of it, especially because now that the website ranks, it's much easier to rank for any other keyword that we want to rank. Like I think our, what's our, yeah, yeah our domain rating on, on Ahrefs is 73, which is super yep. high by, by many standards. And that, that has made our lives easier as we launch new products or as we try to optimize for other keywords. Yeah. What kind of team did you build to execute that strategy? Uh, it, it was mostly a... I mean, we didn't have any, I don't think we had any writers in-house. Uh, so I was doing all the writing. This is, this is kind of a technical, not technical, but like a, like a niche type of topic, right? Pitch decks, like who can write good content about pitch decks? Uh, that, you know, who's an mm -hmm. expert on pitch decks? You know, other, other founders, and you, you can't hire them as content creators for SEO, or at least we, could, we couldn't afford them then. So yeah. uh, I was really the editor slash main writer there. A lot of the kind of satellite articles, we, we hired this company to do it. And then the team was, you know, a mix of social media people. I think that one, one good fact with SEO is that it's changed and evolved so much over the years. Things that were white hat SEO or allowed, right, in Google's rules, things that were allowed in SEO are no longer allowed. And that, that's changing all the time. So one, one challenge that we found was we were trying to recruit people, we're trying to find SEO experts, is that a lot of these SEO, SEO experts operate on the rules of two years ago. And it's, it's very feasible that something that used to work two years ago is now a black hat technique by Google. That happens all the time. Mm -hmm. This is a good example. Like the first ever, the, the reason why Google beat all the other search engines in, in when Google launched in 97 was because the search engines back then were really dumb. Uh, and they would, when, they would, when you would search something, they'd just find for a, they'd just find a page that had a lot of that keyword repeated on that page. So mm -hmm. people, would, people would do this thing called keyword stuffing, which was just putting this keyword a hundred times on the website. Sometimes they'd put it in the background, like behind the website background or in, with no mm -hmm. color so that the bots could read it, but people wouldn't. Uh, and they, I would just stuff, the people would stuff pitch, 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 pitch a million times. And then like that would rank really well on, on search engines. Google was the first search engine that started being smarter and outsmarting like the hacking of SEO. And they've been playing that mm -hmm. game all along, right? I remember... I think to probably that dip that you see there on that chart, that dip is called yeah. Google starting to focus on page speed. So that's, yeah, I, I remember because it was a traumatic time for our company because we had all this huge SEO build and suddenly Google decides, that, hey, like we now really care about the speed of your website. At that point, we all through that first period, our website ran on Squarespace, believe it or not. Squarespace yeah. is, a, I think, as an early company, great platform. Uh, like it allows any marketing person to you know, to publish stuff, to change landing pages uh, without having to be a like a super great web designer or to have a coder on the team. And that was crucial for us early back then. We didn't have a dedicated engineer 
developer for our marketing team. We just built everything on Squarespace. But Squarespace has this way it operates that it's slow for Google's rank and it, Google mm -hmm. didn't like it one bit. So it penalized us very heavily for that. Uh, we took too long to catch on to it. And, you know, we had to go through this massive shift. We, we moved to website to Webflow and that was a whole new learning process. Yeah. And is this a strategy that you still generally employ today about this pillar cluster? I think about it like a pillar cluster model where you have a pillar page and then you build cluster pages around it and then you interlink them all. Do you still do something similar to that? Um, yeah, we do. Now that we have the ranking, what we try to have is, you know, the problem is a blog article or a blog page is not a great convert. It's not a great landing page, right? It's, 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 an, art it's an article. Like you may have a, like some material, some downloadable thing in there, but it's not a great converting landing page. So we try to make pillar pages, landing pages now. Like we can afford to do that now because we have the domain ranking to do that. So like one of our recent successes has been our financial modeling business, we started with a template on a blog post, but now there's like, there's a business associated to it. But if you look yeah. like financial model for startups, we probably rank high up there for search. And that was a combination of many articles that eventually pointed to a page. It, it gets a lot easier mm -hmm. now with the fact that we have an established domain ranking. But probably the mm -hmm. you know, going back to the original topic, like that team of five people who would, I'm sorry, that team that would take a, a, a pillar article and write five versions of it, I'm sure that company is dying because you can do that with GPT now and Google sees That's exactly that. what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. So could this strategy be, be viable with using instead of the, those freelancers or whoever were producing those satellite pages to do that with, with GPT? I think so. Again, I, I, don't play mm -hmm. by, I don't play by the same rules as everybody else anymore because our website already has a big ranking. So like, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know if that works from scratch, but you know, every article, every indication that I've researched about this seems to indicate that that would be a solid sound strategy. As long as the source of, I mean, as, as the original article is good, as long as, I, I think that actually at SaaS stock, uh, the CEO of Jasper, not the CEO, the CMO of Jasper spoke. And mm -hmm. what she was saying was, well, well their, their business is literally creating a tool that you know, produces this content for you. And they have this internal company rule that no content goes live on their social media or on their website, unless it's been edited by a human. So yes, mm -hmm. it's generated by AI, but at least there's a human who reads it, who makes sure that it's coherent. The source of that content, the creative source of that content was written by a human and you know that it's useful. But yeah, the tedious task of just writing a new article from it, yeah, you can delegate that to a bot today. Yeah, that's interesting. I, th I think that that is something that we're gonna see a lot more of, and it, it's just becoming so accessible for any type of company with any level of resources now to produce content at real scale. So there's no unfair advantage for larger companies with big marketing teams or even big content marketing teams that can publish tons of content because now that, that can be done by a one, one person team, really. I mean, yes and no, right? And that's, I think, the, the, the dangerous part of it. Like, uh, you know, Tim, who's, who's the CMO of Ahrefs, is a good friend of mine. Like, we're, we've been their customers for a while mm -hmm. and we've, we've geeked together in the past. You know, they're a $100 million company now just in this SEO mm -hmm. tool. So SEO is obviously a, a very important business. And I was asking him, like, well, what do you think? Does this, you know, this SEO, I mean, does ChatGPT really affect SEO uh, on, and you know, how it will behave in the future? Like, yeah, I think that a larger company still has some unfair advantages. For example, you have more creative brains strategizing about good content strategies, doing the keyword research stuff. Uh, finding out which keywords to target, right? It's not just blasting a thousand articles around a thousand topics because that, I don't know if that works, right? So there's a strategy aspect to it that's mm -hmm. human. There's a creative aspect to it of 
hey, like, what are we going to write about? Is this an actual useful piece of content that people will read? I think that's a, that's a human part. The writing, yes, you can now automate or heavily automate, if not 95% of it can, can be written by GPT. And then there's the promotion of it, which in case of SEO also includes a little bit of the backlink game. I hate the backlink game, mm -hmm. the exchanging backlinks and just, you know, cold emailing people so that they include your article. Yeah, but the larger company still has a, an advantage over the fact that they have credibility and the fact that they have a, mm -hmm. they can have a massive team. Like we get this, as our domain ranking started growing, we started getting all these emails more and more. Like I, I th we probably get, what, four, five emails a week from people wanting backlinks on our, on our blog. It's, it's a big game and I hate it because it is not about the quality content. It's just about your, the size of your workforce. And it's, it's all about the metrics. Yeah. We get a lot of those emails too. And I think, I think link building still is a really viable and churning kind of a service. I think there's still a lot of, a lot of people that are, are doing that and buying and selling links. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I also, I also hate it. I mean, generally it feels kind of sleazy and it is an attempt to manipulate rankings more or less. Yeah. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. Well, let's, uh, let's pivot over to, I want to not pivot over to video. And this is something that you've done phenomenally well with Slidebean's YouTube channel. And you are, you are the star of that channel I'm looking at now. <laughs> closing in on half a million subscribers. And for, for us, a B2B SaaS company, that's just unheard of. So you've basically created a media company out of Slidebean with this YouTube channel. How did you get the inspiration for that? Was it something that you always had a natural uh, affinity for producing videos and it, it had fit right into your, into your wheelhouse? Or did you make a conscious decision that we need to create a media company alongside mm -hmm. the, the business? Man, it, that, it is a funny story that, yeah. Because uh, so my background, I, I studied digital animation in college. So I am a, I guess, you know, kind of story storyteller um, you know, with, with some background in, I wouldn't say film, but at least in video production. So that's one. You know, I, I was applying these skills to pitch decks, which I think a lot of them are related design and storytelling. But when we were doing, when we were going through this SEO exercise, this is around the time on that chart, right? So we peaked at 400K visits 2019, getting 400K visits to the website. We had, a, as a company, we had a huge churn problem. That's that's another story. But we're like, but you know, our, our source of growth was, or our focus for growth was, you know, getting more customers top of the line, not necessarily fixing our churn issues. But in that thinking, it's like, hey, how do we get more customers through? We're like, well, we already rank really well for all the keywords we wanted to rank for pitch deck. I don't think we can rank better. Like for some, we were second or third, but you know, getting to that first position was probably not going to happen right away. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? And we're like, well, okay, well, let's go to the second. What's the second largest search engine? And you could say Bing, but it isn't. The second largest search engine is YouTube. Yeah. So we're like, okay, how do we rank on YouTube? And our first thinking was, well, let's start making videos about these topics that also rank on YouTube. Now, video is such a an expensive and re or was, and I think it still still is. But at that point, kind of video as a channel for B two B SaaS marketing, I think I don't think it was an, the obvious choice, especially because of how expensive it was. 
you know, there's not only the gear, but the production, there's the challenge of finding a host, which inevitably, you know, puts a lot of power into someone who, if, it, if the host is not a founder, it, it's someone with a lot of power, if that becomes a, an important channel for the business. Yeah. And just producing and editing content. So we had this genuine coincidence in our team that two members of our support team had studied film and, you know, film out of our support team was, is in Costa Rica. Film is not a huge industry down here. So yeah, like you, you don't necessarily work in film, you know, working on a startup and doing a little bit of film projects on the side. So we're like, hey, like these guys, when they heard the idea, like, hey, like, yeah, we're down for this. Like, we'll just carve out some time and, and start producing videos in a very experimental manner. And we did this for, man, we did this for like 18 months, a very much trial and error sort of game of, hey, like, what if we make a video like this? We did not understand YouTube at all, did not understand YouTube SEO, nothing. But we, we just really enjoyed producing the content. So we just went for it. Until I think it was uh, end of 2018, I think, when we finally sort of found a found a little formula match, right? Which was somewhat search optimized. Yeah, a little bit optimized for search. Like this green screen format with some animation and a script and a teleprompter. Like that that format worked. We were, we were thinking of YouTube as a, as a direct response campaign. So we, we needed to make sure that the ROI was there. So whatever we paid to produce the video, even, even though it was cheap and in-house, we had to recover it. And for that one, that first video on pitch decks, which still ranks really well, it, it, it's the only video about pitch decks that we've made that has crossed a million views because it's been around for so long and it ranks so well. And we hate it now because it's, it's a much younger me, a very bad presenter version of me with bad animation, but it still ranks and we can't, we can't really delete it. And once that clicked, you know, we, we continued to iterate on, on solving it. You know, fast forward to today, now understand the YouTube formula much better and yeah, we, we operate that branch of the business a little bit like a media company. Do you go off of a structured editorial calendar or uh, is it a little bit more loose and inspirational based on, on how you produce? I wish, I wish. It's, it's very loose. N not a lot of people will know this story, but we launched a video on, on Sam Altman on Friday, just on this whole open AI mess. Uh, we have a series yeah. called Company Forensics where we sort of cover these, these types of stories. I'm that actually here. We didn't have yeah. a video on Monday, like on Friday last week, we had sort of ran out of ideas a little bit and I hadn't, I didn't have a new script. So Friday last week, or I mean the Friday before this video released, if you will, we had no clue of what the next video was going to be. And then these news comes out and like, oh, we have to make a video about this. And we sort of sprinted that video and produced it in about a week. It normally takes about two weeks to produce a video. Uh, we did a little sprint. Luckily the team's in Costa Rica, so we don't, Thanksgiving's not a holiday down here in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. So we could work through Thursday and Friday uh, and get that out. But yeah, it, it's very, uh, sometimes it's very last minute. Sometimes we have videos that we do take, you know, six months in, in planning and executing. Yeah, I haven't seen this video, but it looks looks awesome. 21 minutes. And when, when you have a trend like that, or when you have a story that breaks like that, the Sam Altman story, even if you did have an editorial calendar, I think you have to hit the pause button on that and just jump on the story because it's, it's trending. And here, I, I do have it on the, up on the screen, but at 92,000 views. And that, that video was published two days ago. So mm -hmm. that's phenomenal. Yeah. A lot more views than practically any of the other recent videos from the last few months that I can see. Yep. yep, yep. Um, yeah. Although this Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer's town, that's pretty cool. That, that's yeah, half so a million views. As you can see, we've sort of moved away from, from the startup type content, right? So like we mm -hmm. swam in, in between these two oceans for a while where, you know, we're, we're producing content for startups, like deep technical dives. And those are, that's an old series we used to call uh, Startups 101. It works mm -hmm. great at, it worked great at converting people to our platform because we would do a video on how a cap table works or how convertible notes work or how stock options for employees work. And I wouldn't say technical dives, but very good explainers, right? With some visuals and understanding of these really honestly very complex topics. 
So that mm-hmm. worked really well. Uh, that still works. Those videos still get a lot of traction, especially from search. Because, you know, if you go to search for how convertible note works, nobody, I don't think anybody's explained it better than we have. So that, that video is still, is still mm-hmm. relevant on YouTube. But what we figured at that point was like, well, these are kind of niche topics, right? Like only like really nerdy startup people, founders really care about them. Great, there are customers for Slipebean, but how do we how do we get more views? And that's when we started making these videos that are around tech and, and startups and a little bit of business, but not necessarily the deep tech start dives. So we we sort of found this uh, middle ground where we're getting more views because a lot of more people care about this content. Uh, we've learned so much about YouTube about how a much larger channel on YouTube operates and what works and what doesn't and how much revenue you can make from media. You know, we, we have sponsors in some of these videos even. But on the other side, we sort of abandoned the Startup 101 deep dive niche, which we owned. And mm-hmm. we, I think we still own simply because those videos are still there. And we try, to, we try to make both of those live in the same place for a while, but it doesn't really work because, you know, the YouTube algorithm really penalizes the fact that people watch some of your videos, but not others, right? Mm-hmm. The algorithm wants people to binge watch that every video you have, you have a, this audience that watches every video you release because they care about them. So they have to be uh, someone related. I, I, I spoke to somebody on- Like episodic um, almost, huh? Yeah, but just a related topic. I spoke to this guy on a conference, which was, which was an eye opener. I can't remember his name. So, but you know, he, he had this big impact on, on the channel because when he said is like, hey, I love your company forensic videos. I love, you know, always, always watch them. But sometimes you do these videos on like this really advanced financial model stuff for a startup. Like I'm not a founder, so I don't really care about that. Uh, so when you publish mm-hmm. that stuff, it makes me feel that your channel, your content is not for me. You're like, Whoa, that's, that's actually very, we didn't understand the algorithm as well back then, but now that we do, mm-hmm. we, that totally makes sense. Right. And the algorithm really wants, you know, people to, to binge. So, you know, one of the answers to that is we're, we've decided to carve out the startups one-on-one content. We're launching a new channel next year, uh, which will kind of go back to those roots and finally kind of create that separation of, Hey, like this channel is more of a media company and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll take another stab at the startup stuff. Interesting. But you do monetize the YouTube channel today, the slide bean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Revenue generated. I think. 99% of these are monetized, except if they're selling something or you know, pitching something that we that we sell and, and they convert very well. And we have sponsors for, for many of them too. Yeah. What advice would you give to a B2B marketer in a mid-sized SaaS company that's just getting started with video and maybe it's not possible to build something like you've built over the years with your YouTube channel, but what's the best advice for just starting to get get some video up on YouTube if you don't have a lot of resources? Yeah, so two notes on that. I don't think that YouTube requires that much Effort. Like all, all, the, all these, all this deal about the iPhone 15 is on the fact that it now has like this video quality, like the like cinema quality camera. It doesn't. It's a good camera, but mm-hmm. you don't really need a lot of gear that you don't already have to make video. Uh, so that's, I think, step one. I think that a lot of video is just a lot of trial and error. Like I could, I wouldn't be able to host the videos I host now if I hadn't been doing it for four years. Because there's, you know, you get used to kind of like your tone of voice, the speed at which you speak. And, and the only way you learn that is with trial and error. So I would, I think that the best way to kind of start that is just make shitty videos. You can make a video on Loom with just like a little bubble of your face there and just do a tutorial or something. And I would encourage people to do that because it teaches you so much just to kind of like be on a cadence of, of production. You know, beyond that, my feedback would be, you know, make it a, if you're, if you want to bet on it, make it, you know, be ready for a month's long bets. Like don't, don't try it for three months. And if it hasn't worked, give up because I don't think anybody's solved the YouTube formula that quickly. I mean, some people have, mm-hmm. but 
you have to take your time. And then there's there's the fact that it's you know useful first, sell salesy later, right? So it has to be a useful piece of content. If your product is organically placed in there, great. Uh, like I think Ahrefs, now that we're talking about them, they have a fantastic channel uh, where their mm -hmm. product is very organically placed in every video. But uh, whether you're using it or not, you know you learn a lot about SEO on their channel, and I think that that's what people are after. And then last but not least, TikTok and and YouTube Shorts. I think that they very much lower that barrier now. You know, so the advantage, mm -hmm. like I'm a, I'm a, I'm team long form content. Like I love long form content because it lets you know there's a creative aspect to it. You know, we like to think of these videos like little documentaries even. And we make an effort to bring a little bit of a little bit of our knowledge in film to hey, like we we shoot in 24p and we put some grain into the film. And there's some color grading. Like we 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 there's an art aspect to it. Like it, and everybody on the team is passionate about this. Uh, so we put that effort. We can't do that in shorts, right? Shorts are like quick, mm -hmm. snappy type yeah. of content. But at the same time, the barrier is so much lower that you can go and experiment, and, it, and it's much easier for for a company to dip their toes. Yeah, and you you mentioned at the conference that you force yourself to spend maybe half an hour to an hour a day on TikTok. Mm -hmm. do, are you still doing that? I mean, yes, almost. Or... This is this was twenty twenty. So twenty twenty when I adopted TikTok, this was a beginning of the pandemic. I remember my my girlfriend used to go to bed. Uh, she she worked in marketing too, so you know she would force herself to watch TikTok, and I would hate the content. Like, okay, this is boring. Eventually, I did the same. I'm like, fine, I'll, I'll force myself to watch TikTok. I love TikTok now. I, I really now I have a block on my phone so that I don't waste more than one hour on TikTok a day. Uh, it gives me this warning, like time screen time thing. Uh, yeah, because I really enjoy that content. But it's TikTok for me is leisure content. Is like I get a lot of comedy. I get pets and some food stuff. And that's kind of like a place to kind of shut my brain, but you know you have to understand the format. And same with YouTube, right? Like I don't, I don't force myself to spend time on YouTube. I really enjoy watching other creators' content, but you have to sort of live it if you want to, you know, play in that game. Yeah. Do you think there's a place for TikTok in the marketing mix for B two B SaaS companies? Yeah, I think there is. Yeah, I think there absolutely is. Um, it's, it's, I think it's harder to find. I haven't figured it out yet, so that's why I don't speak too much about it. But I think there absolutely is. Like I, I follow, you know, I'm a, I'm a spreadsheet geek, so I'll, you know, I follow a couple of good channels on spreadsheets where, you know, I think it's easy, organic to, you know, to plug a product, be useful. Like again, like I said, I haven't figured out what that channel is, and I, I can't think of one yet. Like at least B two B SaaS. But you know, somebody will figure it out. We, we have some ideas for next year. Maybe, maybe we will. Yeah, I mean, you could say the audience is not there yet. If I'm selling to. I'm selling to a B2B audience that might be, I don't know, no younger than maybe 25 and up, but they're not really on TikTok. But perhaps it's also just a repurpose value. You can you can repurpose those onto YouTube Shorts as well. And then you can include those in different, even different campaigns like Performance Max. And now there's a new format from Google Ads called Demand Gen Ads. And it's basically, it's the Google Discover feed and it's YouTube Shorts. It's those two properties mostly. Yeah, I, I give credit. I think a lot more people are in TikTok that than we might think. Like genuinely, even though it's it still has some shade. Like you can really, you at the biggest TikTok feature is the algorithm. Like the algorithm really understands what you like and what you don't. And you know, after ten swipes, it'll know quite accurately what stuff you care about. Mm -hmm. I think that there there's not a lot of SaaS content out there being produced. I get the occasional kind of podcast snippet. Uh, I get I think I get the occasional kind of sort of like this week in startups. Jason Calcan is like I think podcasts being repurposed as little TikTok shorts are fantastic used you know, way to maximize that content. Yeah, nobody's really figured out yet, but we'll give it a shot. Yeah, cool. Well, Kaya, this has been great. 
And I, I know we've got to wrap up in a minute, but is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have asked you? Or is there anything else that you think that could benefit our audience? No, I think we've gone through the good, pretty much covered everything. I'll drop my Twitter handle. It's Kaya, he, uh, I guess my X handle. It's Kaya mm -hmm. here. If you want to follow up with anything, happy to share. And yeah, take a look at our YouTube channel, just youtube.com slash slide Well, thanks. Thanks for the time today, Kaya. And, and I really enjoyed it. And have a great rest of your day down there in Costa Rica. You too, Paris. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.